Germany. I was saved in Germany. The Moves were saved in Japan. Amen. And all in the military ministries. Thank God for the United Pentecostal Church having missionaries where our military people can go. And next week I'm going to be in Japan and Korea celebrating 40 years of the church starting in Okinawa. Amen. And you stop and think about when I left in 2009, we had licensed over 70-something folks and ministers and their families, amen, in this organization. So your tax dollars are not wasted, believe me. Amen. People are being saved. People are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ on the other side, in the stakes as well. Amen. And they're putting a plan together now to make it more easier for our men and women in the military to be able to know where the churches are so that they can get plugged in. Amen. So I'm excited. Amen. About what God is doing in our military ministries. So, Sister Brown, please come and take your liberty in the Lord this morning. Amen. Say, God bless Sister Brown. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time. He is so good. I just want to say thank you to Pastor and Sister Parker for allowing me to share my heart. And we so appreciate your church and all of you and many of you we've met in past years. And we are so thankful for the church here in La Crosse. And Sister Bell, I can remember many a talks up at family camp years ago. And I just thank God for each and every one and God is so good. I just can't, I just can't even put it into words right now, but I thank God and I thank Him for allowing me to share what He's laid upon my heart. And I just want to pray before we start. Jesus, I plead your blood right now. I pray, God, that as your word, as it goes forth, you said that it will not come back void, but that it will do that which you sent it to do. And, Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips, God. Let me to speak as your spirit gives the utterance. Let the word of God to do the work that you desire for it to do. Not my will be done, but let your will be done. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And you may be seated. As I was praying, and actually earlier in the week of last week, as I was praying and and thinking, because we have a theme on this prayer group that I'm in, and it was trusting in the Lord at all times. And as I was praying about this, for whatever reason, the Lord just really, and and he can change it anytime he wants, even right now, he can change it. His word, there's lots of things in his word. But I really felt in my heart, I was reminded of the widow, and I was reminded of Elijah. And I was reminded of the miracle that God had done in this woman's life. And if we would go to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1, and I won't read all of them, but verses 1 through 7, here is Elijah. He's in Israel, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he told him to hide himself in the brook of Cherith. 
because the prophets were being killed. They were being persecuted, and Elijah needed to hide. But then the Lord provided him. He provided him drink of the brook, and he had the ravens to feed him. But then, because the Lord had said there would be a drought as a judgment on Israel for three and a half years, and so it did not rain until Elijah would say that it would rain according to what the Lord told Elijah. And so the brook, it dried up, and Elijah was thirsty. And if you could just imagine this man of God in a desert, it's hot there. He's sweating. He's hot. He's tired. He, he knows that God has always provided. And he's walking along hot, sweaty, thirsty, hungry. And the Lord came to him and said, Arise, verse 9, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain there, to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And, you know, as I thought about her out there gathering sticks and, you know, the Lord provided these. This is kind of neat this morning. I told my husband yesterday I needed my sticks. And he said, oh, we'll find them at the church. And he opened his door and they were right outside his door of the car. He said, I told you we'd have sticks. But I know sticks are everywhere. But it was the fact that it was right outside the door. But as she was down there and she's gathering up her sticks, she's out there and she's gathering them up to make a fire. And as she gathered up those sticks, such a simple task in an everyday life, right? How many of us have homes to clean, meals to prepare, laundry to wash, children to tend to, jobs? The everyday things that we do every day. But how many of us in that, like her, were expecting a miracle? How many of us go about our everyday lives as if nothing is going to happen out of the ordinary? But you see, because she had the expectation that your your pastor said this morning, something Miraculous happened. And so she was out there and she was fetching, she was out there gathering up her sticks and Elijah happens to come by and he said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and he said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth. I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. And you see, this woman was preparing what she thought would be the last meal. And if you can imagine for a minute, I don't know what stores are here, maybe festival, but imagine yourself going into the store, your house is empty, your refrigerator's empty, your cabinets, you have nothing, and you have this precious child that's hungry, and their tummy is growling, 
and you're barely staying alive. And you go into festival thinking that you're going to get something. And you walk into the store and it's empty and there's nothing. And you think, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell my son? How am I going to deal with this? And you're gathering up what you can with nothing. And all of a sudden, the man of God comes and he says, feed me, provide. And what did she do? What would I do? What would I do if the last of my meal and the last of my oil, my oil was running low and I had but one small cake to provide for my child? What would I do? And so she told him her plight. And Elijah answered. And he said, and Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee, for thy son. I believe that Elijah was touched with compassion at that woman's plight. I don't believe he was being selfish. I don't believe he was saying, take care of me first. But he had compassion. And he knew that if she would do what God told him she would do, that God would take care of her. This was not the end. And it wasn't impossible for God. And so as he guided her along the way, and they got back to her house, she did as he said. And Elijah said unto her, Go and do as thou hast said. For thus saith the Lord, verse 14, The Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal, shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did. She went and did. She didn't argue. She didn't. The Bible doesn't tell us that she had any trouble doing what he had told her. So she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which spake by Elijah. But it didn't stop there. Here God provided. She had an abundance of oil. She had the meal that she needed. She made meals after meals after meals. And here they're just, they're getting through the drought. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of nowhere. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and slay my son? I can only imagine the anger and hurt and grief that she felt, not only towards Elijah, but to God. Why didn't you just let us have that last meal? Why didn't you just let us die? Why now have I lost my son after you've given us hope? Why? Why? 
And, you know, the Bible doesn't say that Elijah argued with her. It doesn't say he said, oh, you silly woman, didn't I show you the miracles of God? No, he was compassionate, and he grabbed that child. And verse 19, and he said unto her, give me that, son, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him on his own bed. And he cried unto God. And he said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon this widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? He stood in the gap. He cried out. He said, God, why? Why did you let this happen? I don't understand. I don't understand. She has a need. And so he cried to God. And then he stretched himself upon the child three times. And he cried unto the Lord, and he said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come again, come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said, Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth, that is in thy mouth is his truth. I don't believe, and, and pastor can correct me, but I don't think that there was ever a resurrection of dead up until this point. That this was the first one that had been brought back to life. This widow, had she not, when she was out gathering up what she had, twigs, sticks, nothing else, her last bit of oil, her last bit of meal, had she not hearkened to the voice of the prophet, this miracle never, maybe, would have taken place. But you see, because she did, she witnessed the first resurrection of a human being. Now, the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of the New Testament. And, you know, we know what the New Testament says about being born again. We know that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, it says to repent to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why do we receive the gift? Because it's the power unto resurrection. It gives us light. It gives us the power to understand the word of God. It's a gift. And it's for us today. And in the Old Testament, what she had witnessed, you know, I don't think it's coincidence, because God doesn't do anything by coincidence, but the oil. The oil. The oil is significant in the Bible. The oil. The oil is that, that, that flowing of that anointing of that, that power, that, that, that joy, the Holy Ghost in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And then the garment of praise and the oil of joy. We're to put that new robe on. We're not old, those old creatures. We're new creatures. And so as that oil was in her vial that never ran out, I don't know, a type and a shadow 
of the oil of the Holy Ghost. That this is what God had given her. And this is what Jesus preached. If we go to Luke chapter 4. Not sure. Sorry. I'm going to turn there real quick too. And verse 25, sorry, I didn't know if it was up there. Oh, sorry, that's my fault. So if we look at Luke 4, 25 through 26. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and when great famine was throughout all the land, But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And verse 29 says, and rose up, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. This is what they did to Jesus when he said this, when he brought this up. This is what they did to Elijah. They were out to destroy him. They were out to take Elijah out. And see, it was easy for Elijah to rejoice on the mountaintop. He was in that mountaintop under the unction, the anointing of God's spirit. But then if we go just two chapters later into 1 Kings Chapter 19. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so that when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. And went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah had run. He knew that Ahab was out to kill him. He knew what had happened to the prophets before him. He lived in a time just as Jesus was in the book of Luke, a time where the word of God was rejected. Sound familiar? It sounds like the day and the time that we're living in. 
But I'm going to tell you, God is raising up a generation. He's raising up a people. His truth has prevailed 3,600 years of Old Testament, 400 years of the silent ages, and over 2,000 years of the New Testament. We are a continuation of the book of Acts. His word, his word marches on. His truth, his truth. And we will stand upon the word of God. When we're faced with situations, and I'm going to be a little transparent with you and just share some of my own experiences and some things that even in my own life, I've been on the mountaintop and I've been in the valley. But I have found that God is faithful in both, if we will line up with him. It was, it was our second time in Germany. Our first time was phenomenal. It was amazing. We'd come to the Lord. We'd had been taught. We grew in leaps and bounds. We were fed the word, solid teaching. It was incredible. We came back to the States, did our time in the States, and we were very homesick for Germany. So without talking to our pastor, my husband put himself on levy to go back to Germany. And so we went back to Germany. However, it wasn't the same place that we were before. Many of our missionaries had been sent back to the States during that time, and fellowship leaders were appointed over the churches. And not that they did anything that was wrong or bad, but there was definitely some changes as far as teaching. And so my husband and I knew enough not to discuss it amongst ourselves, but we really weren't that old in the Lord to know what we should do. So we began to pray as we've never prayed before. Many a times at 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning, I would be in the kitchen with my Bible while our children slept, seeking the Lord, asking him, Lord, what are we supposed to do? When my son became ill, he was about three. It was June of 1988. And at first they thought he had leukemia. He did not. And then he wasn't getting any better, though. In three weeks, he just he would get fevers and sore throat and not eat and getting very, he was very skinny at that time. And I can remember asking God to heal him. I didn't understand why God had not healed him. And so I, he was taking a nap, and I sat down beside his bed, and I began to cry out to God. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. This is what your word says. Your word says that by your stripes we are healed. You said, God, to pray for the sick and they shall recover. You said this, God. And little did I know that in that prayer that God was going to speak to me what I needed to do in my heart. You see, in the midst of all that, though my husband and I didn't say anything to anybody, there was a lot of turmoil in us. There wasn't unity within the body. I'm not, this isn't for you. This is our personal experience, so don't take it that way. But in my spirit, I was restless. I was struggling. I was questioning. I didn't understand. I didn't know what God was trying to do, and it was a year and a half of a rough time. And so I got down on my knees, and the Lord, I didn't even know the scripture was in the Bible. But this particular time, I don't say he does it often, but the Lord led me to Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and how pleasant it is 
for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, and the dew of Hermon, and in the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I began to weep, and I said, God, how? I don't understand. How can there be unity? How can this happen? What is it, God? What am I supposed to do? And then the Lord took me to another scripture that I didn't know was in here. And he took me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The Lord broke my spirit. He broke my spirit so that he could fill me over again with his spirit. Because that oil, I needed that oil. I needed to saturate my heart my mind, my family. And as God began to do a work in me, I just wept and wept and wept. And then I was so exhausted and I climbed up beside my son on his bed and I dozed off and I don't know, maybe 20 minutes and Kevin comes walking in the door and our son jumped off the bed and he ran to the door. His fever was gone. He was completely healed. And, you know, when we will commit our ways to God and we will yield as this woman did, there was a cry. There was a desperation. She had really nothing else to give but that cake. And it was a matter of life and death for her. But she yielded and God Supplied. How many times does God try to get my attention? Does he try to get me to yield? Not because he's a harsh God. He's a loving God. He loves us. But we, we as humanity can be so stubborn. And I just thank him for his mercy and his grace because he loves us so much. And There's another time, that's one, but another time in January of 2008, I was sitting doing my Bible, reading through the Bible. I was on the book of Acts, and I was reading, and it was Barnabas and Saul and how Barnabas took Saul, and he was ministering to him, and God had converted him on the road to Damascus. And I remember saying, God, send me a mentor. I was crying. I said, God... Send me a mentor. And little did I know, you know, sometimes God does things in the most obscure way. We have to trust him. But I prayed that prayer, and it was March of that year that my mother-in-law began to get sick. She wasn't doing very well. She'd always been pretty strong. She was only 68. And she, she was a Christian woman. And the most godly of all women that I know, very Christ-like. And she was raised in a Nazarene preacher's home. Her brother was a preacher. 
Her nephew was a preacher. And we loved my mother-in-law, and they were living with us. And she got sicker. We were praying for healing. By June, we found out that she had a very rare cancer, one in a million. And she quickly got sicker and sicker. We had taught her Bible studies. We had gone through the scriptures. We had read scripture with her. And we didn't say anything to her. But she got very, very weak in November of 2008. She was in a wheelchair. And I knew that we had to do something. And so I went on an extended fast. I'd never done it before. I didn't know how to do it. And I said, well, God, I'm just stepping out in faith. So that Sunday night, I just started it. Monday, Tuesday, by Wednesday at the church, I cut down and I began to travail like I did for my son. And I said, God, I need you to move. My mother-in-law doesn't have the Holy Ghost. My mother-in-law has not been baptized in Jesus' name. And God, I don't know anybody that I have loved so much that didn't have your spirit. And God, if truly, I believe it is, but if truly your word is true and she needs to be baptized, God, you're going to have to make a way. You have to make a way because she's got to get to heaven. And so I got a call at work. And my mother-in-law said, I want to be baptized. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, Linda, your job is not your reality. My kingdom is your reality. My job supplies our manna. It supplies for the church. It supplies for our, our needs. But it's not my reality. It's temporal. But heaven, heaven is my reality. And from that point on, my husband and I have committed ourselves to the gospel, to the teaching, to the witnessing, to the praying, and allowing God to use us wherever, whatever it is, just like we talked about in our leadership class this morning. Just serve him. It doesn't matter what it is. Just do it. If you find something, do it as unto the Lord, no matter how small it is. Just do it. Just do it. Pick up that piece of paper with joy. Wipe that window with joy. Bake a cake for someone who's sick with joy. Do it with joy. So anyway, I said, Mom, do you want us to come to the hospital now? She said, no, I think it can wait till I get home. So we all, we had, I went to the hospital. And prior to that, that Sunday night, this is where the battle had started before she, when all this happened and she wanted to be baptized. My father-in-law had taken um, my husband in another room, and he just shared his beliefs and didn't feel she needed to be baptized, and he wanted us to not push it. And my mother-in-law was not going to get baptized without her husband's permission. She was a submissive wife. She loved her husband. She loved her family. She taught me a lot of what I have learned as a wife, as a mother. And I thought, he has no right to do that. I I wanted to say something. And my husband said, no, we're not going to fight. We're not going to fight. And I was like, God, so what am I going to do? That's when I went on the fast. And so that Saturday, so Sunday, now we're Saturday, I actually Thursday stood on my Bible literally 
I stood on my Bible in my room in prayer, and I said, God, you got to do something. That Saturday, we got a call from my son, and he said, I think you better get home. Grandma wants to be baptized. And so we rushed home, and we had some time. But at any rate, that night in our whirlpool, up in our room, she was baptized in the precious name of Jesus. And then it was just a few weeks later that I'd gone down to say goodbye to her before I went to work, and she had this glow on her face. And she took her hands and wrapped them around my face, and she said, I spoke in tongues this morning. I said, you did? Have you ever done that before, Mom? She said, no. But you see, that song that we sang, Jesus, Jesus, like the freight, we sang that almost every time we were down there with her. We would worship. We didn't have music. But what we did is we had the presence of God, and we began to pray with her, and we began to sing with her, and tears would pour down her face, and she began to feel the presence of God. And as she felt the presence of God, and she continued, we said, Mom, that's it. Just keep doing that. And so when she was alone or she was afraid or in pain, she began to do that. And God filled her with his spirit. God did that. He gets the glory. And did God heal her in her physical body? No. But when she died, just in January of that that following November, she was so happy. She went on to be with Jesus. There was peace. And my husband had gotten her father's Bible. And in her father's Bible, in Matthew 24, in the margin, where Jesus gave the great commission to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, was the name of Jesus. She had written it in her Bible. She knew. She knew. Did we say anything to her in those months? We did not. My husband did not feel like we needed to keep beating it at that point. But we knew that we had to do something. And so we prayed. We prayed. Don't stop praying. That was over 30 years of prayers for my mother-in-law. And to share just, and let me finish that story. That following January, she passed away, 2009. And I was doing my Bible through again and came across that same passage of Scripture in Acts And I looked down, and it said, Lord, send me a mentor. And I began to cry. My husband walked in the room, and I said, look, look at the top of my Bible. And he started to cry, and he said, it was mom. It was mom. Even in her dying, she taught us what was important. Souls, people, everything else. She didn't take anything with her but her soul. And if we can reach just one person, one person, you never know walking into your store, maybe that woman that's gathering up her groceries, that's gathering up her twigs, maybe you don't know what she's going through at her home. You don't know what she might be facing. You don't know the situation. But if you will be sensitive and you will allow God to use you, God can do a miracle. And the greatest of all miracles is a life that has been born again. Jesus said he must be born of the water and of the spirit. God desires that in our world today. And as we give ourselves to God and we allow him, just as this woman did, 
You can be used on your job, in your home, in your neighborhood, wherever you are. Allow God, allow God to use you. Jesus is looking for faith. When he comes to this earth, will he find faith? Will he find faith? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Saints, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. He's coming. He's right around the corner. He's coming back for his church. But he wants his vineyards full. There are more people to reach. There are more lives that need deliverance, that need healing, that need Jesus to do the miraculous. Don't grow weary. Stand firm. Stand firm and hold on to the word of God. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was doing, and this is, we're going to close on this, but I was doing some reading and I was talking about providence and prophecy. Providence means protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power. That woman, that woman gathering sticks, that was the providence of God. He made provision, not just for her, but for the generations to come. We are here because of the generations before us, because God has made provision. And in his providence, his all-knowing, I'm not talking about providence as an odd thing, but just in his knowing and being sovereign and being everywhere, God has planned and prepared for the coming of Jesus. God, in his providence, foresees the future, and so in a mysterious way to us, because we can't understand his ways. He anticipates. He prepares for it. He guides it. And we can trust him. We can trust him. No matter what you're facing today, you can trust him. God's providence in all the events and circumstances in our lives. This last day, this is in his plan. This is in his word. And things are quickly coming to an end. But this is the same thing that's going to be a catalyst to push people in our churches. People are going to know where to go. Because every day we get up as Elijah did. And we expect a miracle. Trust him. Trust him. Elijah saw many miracles. He was mightily used of God. And yet, he too, like us, he suffered. He suffered. He had emotions and passions. He wanted to die. And he hid himself. And God's saying to us, What dost thou hear? What dost thou hear, Linda? What dost thou hear? Come out. Come out of the cave. Listen to my voice. And every day as we go forth and we allow God to be God, reminded that he is the God of the Old Testament. He's God of the New Testament. He's God yesterday, today, and forever. And his word never changes. And in conclusion, if you would stand...
I came across this, I think it was yesterday or maybe a few days ago. But I had heard Sister Vesta Mangan say that she could take the word of God and she could preach Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Every page of this Bible is Jesus Christ, the word made flesh that dwelt amongst us, the word of God himself. He robed himself in flesh. And I came across this Jesus in the 66 books of the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, the cloud and the fire. In Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, the judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second Kings. In First and Second Chronicles, the reigning king. In Ezra, the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the broken down walls and people. In Esther, Mordecai. In Job, the dayspring from the high. In Psalms, the Lord who is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, the lover and bridegroom. In Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, in Lamentations, he was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the wheel turning. In Daniel, he was the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, the bridegroom married to the backslidden woman. In Joel, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. It was prophesied that this would come to the church. In Amos, the burden bearer. In Obadiah, the mighty savior. In Jonah, the forgiving God. In Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, the cleansing foundation. In Zechariah, the merciful father. In Malachi, the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, the Messiah. In Mark, the wonder worker. In Luke, the son of man. In John, the son of God. In Acts, the ascended Lord. And in Romans, the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, the gifts of the Spirit. In Galatians, the one who sets us free. In Ephesians, the Christ of riches. In Philippians, the God who meets our every need. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him. In First and Second Thessalonians, the soon and coming king. In First and Second Timothy, the mediator between God and man. In Titus, the faithful pastor. In Philemon, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, the blood that washes away my sins in James the great physician in first and second Peter he's the chief shepherd in first and second and third John he's the everlasting love in Jude he's the Lord who came down with 10,000 of his saints and in Revelation he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords oh thank you Jesus hallelujah hallelujah oh yes Lord we look to you you are the author the finisher of my faith you are the way maker God It is you that we look to, O God, as you lead us, as you guide us, as you direct us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.